the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. Who do we teach that to? Senior adults may sing it, but we teach it to children. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in His sight. That's the message of the gospel. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Some of you are making a dumb decision right now because you're lying in church. Raise your hand if you've ever made a dumb decision. All right. We've made dumb decisions in our marriages. We've made dumb decisions parenting. We've made dumb decisions in our jobs. We've made dumb decisions in our faith journey. Today we're going to talk about how you can come back even after making dumb decisions. We've been looking at comeback stories in Scripture And we looked at the story of David, and he showed us that you can come back even after acts of disobedience. And that's so encouraging to me because I'm a sinful man. I've been disobedient in my life. I still struggle with that on a regular basis. And to know that God can still bring me through and be a man after his own heart, that's so encouraging. Last week, we looked at Elijah, and we saw that you can come back even after seasons of discouragement and depression. And this one's really big for me because I battle with those dark moments of life. There are times when, like Elijah, I want to climb into the cave and not come out. And yet I long to hear that still small voice of the Lord where he demonstrates his presence and shows me that I can go forward in his power. Today in Mark chapter 10, we look at several scenes from the life of Jesus. And we see how he responds to different people's dumb decisions. We're going to zero in on a couple of names you may be familiar with, James and John. They're called the sons of thunder. They're actually the sons of a guy named Zebedee. But God's going to show us how we can come back even after making dumb decisions in our lives. So I want you to think about some of those things, those dumb things you did that you wish you had not done, those dumb things you said that you wish you had not said. Maybe those things you failed to do that you wish you had done or those things you had failed to say to the people you love that you wish you had said. How do you come back from a dumb decision? There's one central truth. I would encourage you to write this down. Find a pen, pencil, lipstick, Crayola, mascara, a piece of paper, your phone, the backside of your hand, whatever you can write this on because this is the central truth today. When you make a dumb decision, you have to choose to be wise. And put yourself back in the way of Jesus. When you make a dumb decision, there is a way back, but you have to choose to be wise. And you put yourself back in the way of Jesus. 
Mark chapter 10 shows us how to do that. Now, as we journey through this chapter, we've got a lot of ground to cover, but you're going to notice a lot of this ground is covered in red letters. You have a copy of Scripture and you see the red letters, that reminds you that these are the actual words of Jesus. What does Jesus say about how we come back from these decisions? Look at Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Where was there? He had spent his ministry in the region of Galilee. Now he's on the road toward the cross. It's fitting for us as we're on a journey toward the cross. Just a few days from Easter, we're preparing to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. We'll see in this passage, he's going to describe what he's going to do. And now he sets out on that journey toward Jerusalem, but we hear in this passage that he actually goes beyond the Jordan. Now that means he goes beyond the Jordan River. If you've traveled to Israel, as some of you have, even with me, you know that that Jordan River becomes a barrier between what is now the land of Israel and the country of Jordan. So Jesus went into what is now the country of Jordan. That means it was an area that was ruled by Herod Antipas. That's going to be important, so keep that in mind. But notice what happened. Crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, Jesus taught them. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things just before we go any further. Jesus is on the move. And Scripture teaches us that truth again and again, doesn't it? God is always on the move. He is an active God. And while the activities of God never cease, understand this, the attributes of God never change. What do I mean by that? God's always moving. He's active. He's on the prowl. He's working in this world in ways we do not see. But even today, all these years later, he is the same God. His attributes are the same. He still stays the same. Jesus is on the move, and he's teaching all who will learn about who God is. Now, that's what we've come here to do. We're worshiping Jesus, we're gathering in his presence, and we want him to teach us. So let's pause right now and pray that simple prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you give us what we do not have? Jesus, teach us what we do not know. And Holy Spirit, indwelling those of us who are your followers, continue to make us more and more into that image of God, the image we bear in our very soul. Make us all that we can be for your glory. And Lord, once more I pray, may the words of my mouth and even meditation in my heart be pleasing. God, you're my strength. You've redeemed me. I'm grateful for that. I stand here redeemed. Use me for this moment. In the mighty name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. Now look at verse 2. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now this is a dumb question. Now, why is it a dumb question? I'm going to give you something you need to know today. It's a dumb question because God's already answered the question. And when you walk through life, you don't have to ask what Jesus would do if he's already told you what to do. You don't have to wonder about things that God has already made clear, regardless of the changing times, regardless of the chaos of this world. We trust what God is and what he said. I want to give you a little bit of the context. I mentioned that Jesus was in the land that was governed by Herod a Tempest. Herod was the one who would take the life of John the Baptist. Do you know why he took the life of John the Baptist? 
He did this because John had the boldness, because God's truth never changes. God, John had the boldness to stand up and say that the person that Herod had married was unbiblical. So John was standing up in the face of authority, and he was standing on the truth of God's word. And as a result, John ended up losing his head, literally. John the Baptist. Now, in that context, understand that the same religious leaders who were always trying to trick Jesus come to Jesus, and they try to get him to be in trouble with Herod in the same way. So they say, what do you say about this whole marriage and divorce thing? Jesus, as he often does, answers a question with a question. So he says, well, what did Moses say? Remember, Jesus doesn't say the law doesn't matter. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. And Jesus never lowered the standard. Jesus always raised the standard. Jesus would say things like, you've heard it's wrong to kill. I tell you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. You've heard it's wrong to have adultery. I I tell you, if you lust, you should pluck your eye out. So Jesus says, what does Moses say? And so they repeat the idea that Moses says there's a certificate of divorce that can be had. Jesus will go on to tell him, yeah, Moses did this because of the hardness of your heart. But here's the situation. In that day, there were two different groups of people, even in the Jewish faith. Some of them followed on this issue a rabbi named Shammai. And Rabbi Shammai was a more conservative Jewish rabbi, and he taught that Moses' exception, the reason that divorce could be experienced, was only through adultery. And by the way, I believe, as you look at Scripture today, this is not a message on marriage and divorce, but as you look at Scripture today, I, I believe still that's the escape cause in Scripture It's never God's intent. It's never God's design. The Bible says God hates divorce. But Jesus does speak, and the New Testament affirms under the writings of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that when there's adultery or when there's desertion of an unbeliever, divorce may be permissible even in the eyes of God. But then there was another rabbi, the Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel believed that you could divorce for any indecency. Now, this is kind of humorous, as God's Word often is, because this had gotten so widely interpreted that some people believed a man could divorce his wife even if he no longer liked the way she looked. I mean, how ridiculous. And yet, isn't that what we always do? We tend to lower and lower and lower the expectation and excuse the standards that God has given us. Well, what does Jesus say? Look at verse 10 and, or verse 6 in chapter 10. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Again, not the topic of today, but is this current for our time today? God created us male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So Jesus is saying, I, I tell you God's plan. You want to know what's right? The right is, yes, God created two different kind of creatures. There's one that's male and one that's female. And God's plan is at some point in life, those two fall in love. They come together. 
they leave their parents of origin, they cleave to one another, and they begin to weave a new life together. That's God's plan. In fact, he says, and God said then, and I say now, what God's joined together, let no one, nothing, tear apart. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. God's truth does not change. God's standard does not decrease just because sin has increased. And some of you parents and some of you grandparents need to understand that as you've excused the things in our cultures because of what you've seen taking place in the culture. When you make a dumb decision, you've got to choose to be wise and put yourself back in the way of Jesus. And so you ask this question, what did Jesus do? What does God's word say? But that's not the only dumb moment. Remember, we're journeying fast through here. Look at the next scene, verse 13. And they, who's they? All the people that gathered around Jesus, because people are always drawn to Jesus. And by the way, that's still true today. People are drawn to Jesus. So when you have Jesus in your life, when the church is clearly lifting up Jesus, Jesus said himself, he'll draw people to himself. So if you're thinking, hey, nobody wants to talk to me about Jesus, it may be a good time to look in the mirror and say, are you allowing Jesus to draw people to himself through you? So they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. This is a dumb move. How often throughout history have church people, supposed followers of Jesus Christ, put restrictions on others that ultimately keep them from Jesus. Some of you grew up in a church that said people of a particular race could not worship where you worship, or people whose hair was longer than yours could not worship where you worship, or people who didn't dress in a certain way could not worship where you worship. Where in the world do we get these foolish restrictions? So what does Jesus say? What does he do? Look at verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. I underlined that word. I can't imagine how angry Jesus became. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus was saying, y'all are missing it. And he's speaking to his disciples. His disciples were the one that rebuked them. He's saying, y'all don't understand this kingdom. Y'all are always asking me about the kingdom. Jesus, how do we get into the kingdom? And he's saying, the kingdom can be entered into even with the faith of a child. That's why it's so important in our families and in our churches that at a young age, we begin to introduce our children to Jesus. We love them to Jesus. 
And then we lead them to Jesus. Parents, it's not the responsibility of the church to teach your children about Jesus. It's your responsibility. And grandparents, as I know is often the case, if something's gone awry in your family and your children are not leading their children to Jesus, you lead them to Jesus. You love them to Jesus. This is one of the earliest principles we learn, right? Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. Who do we teach that to? Senior adults may sing it, but we teach it to children. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. That's the message of the gospel. We need to learn something today. Our children will never prioritize the things they watch us marginalize. And we have parents and we have grandparents that are more concerned about how their child does in sports, how their child excels in academics, how their child does in the arts, than how they walk with Jesus. And all of those things will one day fade. I don't care who you are. Even if you are that rare .000 something percent of a person that makes it into professional athletics, that too will one day fade. But your soul will last forever somewhere. Prioritize the main thing. So Jesus was saying, hey, you made a dumb decision, but when you make a dumb decision, choose to be wise and put yourself back in the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is to have the simple faith of a child. But there are more dumb moments in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 17. He was setting out on his journey, the journey toward Jerusalem. Remember, the journey toward the cross. And a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Now, there's a direct question. But following this, you're about to see the saddest dumb moment in this chapter. And I believe this may be the saddest moment in all of Scripture. Look at verse 18. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. If you don't take a deep breath and think about what Jesus said there, it may be confusing. What was he saying? Well, he was saying one of two things. He was either saying, I'm not good, or he was saying, I am God. So he was looking at this young man. Matthew calls him a rich young ruler. He's looking at this young man, and he says to him, you're calling me good because something in you is drawing you to me. Something within you is making you recognize that I am different, that I am the God of all that is. And so he says to them in verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Now, what are these? These are the last six of the Ten Commandments. If you remember, the Ten Commandments are divided. The first four commandments focus on our relationship with God. The last six commandments focus on our relationship with other people. So Jesus said, you know these commands. And notice what the guy says. He says to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And that's the way a lot of us think when it comes to the things of God. I'm good at the don't do this. I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. And so you sit in the presence of God, and you say, well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't committed murder. I haven't stolen. I haven't done these other things. And your don't do list is pretty good, and you feel good about yourself. But I want you to see the response of Jesus. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Now, isn't this great? Peter would later talk about this occurrence, because we see that Peter's here. And, And Peter would say, man, the way Jesus lovingly looked. And I just want you to understand something. Some of you are like me, because even as I'm uttering these words, I'm thinking, man, I'm dumb way too often. And some of you, you're hearing this and you're thinking, I've made some dumb decisions. 
I just want you to know the God of the universe, Jesus himself is looking at you in a loving way. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Again, if you just read this without thinking through what Jesus is saying, you're thinking, shoot. I mean, that's kind of rough, Jesus. I mean, the only way he's going to follow you is give up everything. Don't miss the point here. Remember, Jesus is the master storyteller. What had, just, what had Jesus just told him about? The last six commandments. And the guy says, yeah, I've done that. I'm good at the don't do's. What is Jesus talking about now? He's talking about the first four commandments, which is you can't have any other gods. You can't have any idols. Don't even take my name in vain and honor the day that I've set aside because it's all about me. And Jesus was saying, until you understand that it's not all about you, you've made it all about you. You've got the big pile of stuff. You've got the house you want. You've got the car you need to drive. You've got everything in your world that you want. Until you understand it's not about you and your world, it's all about me and my kingdom. Until you understand that, you're not really following me. Wow. Could that be the reason that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ across the world, and particularly in our culture in America, could that be the reason that we're so impotent and that we're so infertile that we're not reproducing ourselves is because we focus on the don't do this and we're not doing the one thing that Jesus, when he was asked what's the most important thing, says we've got to do, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, give him everything. Walk away from everything else. Give him everything you've got. So in verse 22, it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That's why this is one of the saddest moments in all of the Bible. And he encountered Jesus. He, he could have had it all that mattered. He said, no, thank you. He went to the right person. He even asked the right question. He got the right answer. But listen, he had the wrong response. So you can walk through the church doors. You can hear the word of God. You can hear the way out, the way back. You can hear a comeback story. But if you don't respond, boy, that's the dumbest decision you could ever make. You can know the right thing to do and still do the wrong thing. And friends, I just need to tell you, this is not where we're ending up, but this is the kind of dumb decision you don't come back from. When you walk away from Jesus, when you thumb your nose at him, when you reject who he is, it affects forever. So remember, when you make a dumb decision, choose to be wise. Put yourself back in the way of Jesus. So Jesus is going to use this opportunity to teach his disciples. This is one of the greatest teaching passages in all of Scripture. I'm studying in Mark how Jesus calls his disciples, how he builds them up, and then he sends them out. And this is one of the great build-up passages. He's teaching them. So he says, hey, it's hard for a person who has a lot to come to me. Because if they have a lot, they think they've got everything they need. Why is the fastest growing church in the world in Iran? Why is the second fastest church in the world in China? Because in those places, you have to give it up all to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In our culture, we can, we can say we're cultural Christians because we can just show up once a week and give God an hour and a half and think we've checked the box. It's hard when you've got a lot to give it all to Jesus. And so Jesus is going to talk for the next several verses about this encounter, about how you've got to be willing to count the cost. You've got to be willing to sacrifice what you give up 
here on this earth is worth it in eternity. It takes a wise person to walk away from what you have and walk toward what God wants you to have. I want you to stop being dumb. I want you to be wise today. So Peter, <laughs> Peter's always bold. We're going to look at him next week. Peter says, yeah, Jesus, I've done this. <laughs> and, and I just imagine Jesus is going, no, you haven't. You haven't done this. You're going to, but, but you don't even understand yet, Peter. You want to know how to make wise decisions? Just get in the way of Jesus. Just get in the way of Jesus. Now that begins by just getting in his presence. But some of you know that early Christ followers, they were identified as those who were in the way. They were living their lives the way Jesus led his life. When you do that, when you choose to be wise and put yourself back in the way of Jesus, remember that's the one thing I want you to get. When you do that, it changes everything. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.